going to be a good one. Always a good one. Except when it's not. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let me put my other earphone on. There you go. Oop, nope. What have you done? I'm ready. Okay, cool. Welcome to Super Superstitious. The only paranormal science podcast currently being recorded on a Casper mattress. That's right. We are in bed. <laughs> We're on bed. We're on bed, yeah. I should say. I'm realizing. But we are fully naked. <laughs> for, just for good measure. That's right. <laughs> I'm Jake. I'm Wyatt. And yeah, welcome to another episode of our good old show where we talk about spooky stuff, make it sound sciencey, And then uh, take it right back down to Goof Town. In no particular order. That's right. <laughs> now, before we get into our stuff for this week, I want to offer just a quick update on last week. I included some quotes from the Arkansas-based paranormal investigation group, The Spirit Seekers. Mm-hmm. as well as some accounts that took the form of comments on one of their blog posts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they seem like a fine group of folks oh, with a pretty level approach to what they do. Uh, plus, they seem kind and decent overall. More power to them and the work they do. Did you talk mad shit on these people last week? I did not. Um, okay. What I wanted to bring up was something that could not be gleaned simply from hearing it read aloud last week. Mm. And that is the fact that the group's name, Spirit Seekers, in fact includes an acronym, specifically the word SPIRIT. It mm. stands for... Spirit Seekers Paranormal Investigation Research and Intervention Team. That is to say, the Wait S. Wait a second. The S. Hold up. In Spirit Seekers <laughs> is for Spirit Seekers. Is creating an acronym oh no. fractal that I thought was worth bringing up. <laughs> and that is all. That's awesome. I wish the spirit within the acronym itself was different from <laughs> the other layer you know yes. what i mean so anyway that's just a fun little fact for this week uh, do you have that. any updates for this week i, I, like to share? I do <laughs> hey i do okay and my updates are a part two of spring heel jack america edition if you're ready for that i'm ready for that should i jump right in jump right in So, we last left our hero hopping around, playing hide-and-seek, and spitting fire at the potentially very bored people of the late 1800s. Like you do. By the reports, it sounds like many people not only witnessed whatever this thing was, but were pretty fascinated with and even entertained by its presence. Is and that possibly, fair to say? possibly set their clocks by it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you'll also recall there was some uh, extremely heated debate as to whether whatever it was wore a... <laughs> White suit, a suit more the color of sheep's wool, or one of a somewhat smoky color. Yes. So last week I'd asked for some name submissions and got all of zero, so... Including from me. I apologize. Yeah, you bastard. Uh, so this week we'll rejoin Theo Jump Roosevelt. <laughs> it's always going to be U.S. presidents. I don't know. <laughs> as he leaps into the 20th century. So... Alrighty. Starting in 1897... The Leaping Ghost with the Lantern of Auburn, New York. Uh, hundreds of people have been greatly annoyed <laughs> by the antics of a new kind of ghost. <laughs> I also like that they're calling it a new kind of ghost, like they're bored of the old kind. <laughs> yes. That a bunch of the same old, same old ghosts. Yeah. It's a, finally a new kind of ghost to be terrified by. It is in the habit of appearing at one o'clock at night and is tall, clothed in white, and carries a lantern. It does not glide, as most specters do, but bounds like a kangaroo. (laughs) The ghostly figure stalked across an oat field, swinging a lantern in its hand. It advanced to the fence, and after flourishing his lantern up and down several times like a brakeman signaling a railroad train, 
gave a tremendous bound into the air and vanished from sight. Jumped into the stratosphere. Yeah. (laughs) Another account. About ten o'clock, the ghost appeared again, carrying his lantern with him. The specter made its appearance apparently rising from the ground at the foot of a beech tree, which stands at the west end of a field. The white-robed figure dodged in and out, seen at one minute and the next lost to sight. After continuing his performance for a few minutes, the figure advanced boldly toward the astounded spectators. It came on with a bounding movement, similar to that made by a kangaroo while in motion. When within a few feet of the spectators, the ghost stood motionless for a second, and after waving the lantern in the air three or four times, suddenly vanished from sight. So kind of an interesting little pattern there. I like the fact that it's routinely described as being like a kangaroo. Mm-hmm. Like people are like, oh, kangaroos are a thing we only recently learned about as white people. Let's, yeah, uh, yeah. let's compare everything that jumps to those. It's like a kangaroo. <laughs> 1899, the headless leaper of Hillsborough, Indiana. Ooh. This is good to bear in mind. This was the year many folks were concerned about what might happen with Y1.9K. Um, <laughs> it turns out they had nothing to worry about, though. Um, near Hillsborough in western Indiana, there is a strip of wild, hilly country known as Red Hills, which, for several years, according to the stories of reputable and reliable people, has been haunted by a headless ghost. Quite recently, two farmers driving through the hills after nightfall were attacked by the ghost, which jumped into their wagon. Both deserted their team and fled in wild dismay. More recently, a gang of hunters were stampeded, and none of them can be again persuaded to venture in that locality after night. I like that they don't necessarily specify that it was by the ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Other people profess to have seen the same apparition, which came bounding toward them, frequently leaping 10 and 15 feet into the air, but disappearing when close at hand. Recently, William... A farmer makes declaration that he uh, that as he was driving homeward, the ghost appeared armed with a huge club and began Whoa. belaboring his horses. Is that beating the shit out of the horses? I think so. They used to call it belaboring. <laughs> Dude, I got my ass belabored last night. Um, Petude jumped out and fled in terror, never stopping until he reached the home of Harry Barton who armed himself with a rifle and furnished Petude with a weapon. It was a couch. It was a couch. Take my battle couch. Together they returned to the scene of action, and they found the horses lying in a ditch, quivering with terror and showing every indication of having had a rough time. I personally really enjoy that he describes it as having had a rough time. (laughs) Yes. Like, that's how you'd explain a pretty bad time, not the reality-challenging trauma of getting your ass beaten by a ghost. <laughs> yep. uh, you guys had a less pleasant night than you normally do. <laughs> These horses didn't have fun. Uh, another account, this time from 1908, entitled The Fire-Spitting Elephant Ghost of Alma, Colorado. Oh my. Is maybe something else entirely, but I'll include it just because it was included. <laughs> Alma had a sensation this week in the shape of a ghost, which appeared at night. <laughs> People coming from the saloons about midnight saw a strange sight, or imagined they did. One night, the phantom was seen near the Thomas Saloon. Another time, it was at the bridge on Main Street. The courageous Almites gave chase, but when they arrived at the spot, the apparition had mysteriously disappeared. Some describe it as a beautiful woman, clad in the finest white lingerie, or sheep's wool. And some describe it as an elephant? Is that where we're going? (laughs) She made this horrible noise. Just kidding. The spot where the beauty disappeared was fragrant with the perfume of elephants. 
just kidding, of roses and violets. <laughs> Others again say it looked to them like a huge elephant with streams of fire issuing from its trunk. These are such wildly varying accounts. I think folks were it's just... a beautiful woman. Dude, you don't find elephants attractive. <laughs> and when they arrived at the spot where it had vanished, the smell of sulfur and brimstone permeated the air. The young ladies of Alma are frightened and will not venture forth in the evening without an escort. The gallant young men act with the greatest of pleasure in this capacity. Tee-hee. So far, the spook has not been caught, but if this should be the case, would summarily be dealt with? They would give it a firm talking to. That's right. <laughs> you, you stop elephant that. elephant lady. Pick one, and then quit it. <laughs> Next year, Roosevelt seemed to be back on it in the East Coast this time, I though. we're calling him Roosevelt. <laughs> uh, Roosevelt, thank you very much. Roosevelt, sorry. He traded in his white sheep's wool dancing and hide-and-go-seek suit for his black... Lady Jumping Cloak. Lady Jumping Cloak. So we've now turned into 1900s. We're in 1909. The Devil in Black of Georgetown, Delaware. More than seven feet in height and swathed in a long black cloak closely wrapped around its face, a new mystery has been exciting some parts of Georgetown where it has followed women and young girls and jumped out from behind trees at them. The Devil in Black, as it is called, first appeared several nights ago when a dozen or so persons saw it during the course of the evening. For behind a tree, it jumped at Mrs. William Curdy and sent her screaming with fright into a neighbor's house. I'm picturing her just actually knocking her screaming with fright <laughs> through the air into... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Straight through the door onto a, like, couch or something. A daughter of Joseph Carnell was also chased by the mysterious stranger until she fell almost fainting into Fred Rust's grocery store. I like that the newspaper is on a first-name basis with everyone in town. Yes. The men of the neighborhood, informed of the affair led by William Curdy, ran across fields, jumped fences, and through backyards with the devil but a few yards ahead of them. But while crossing the big ditch known as the Savannah, the figure completely disappeared and, despite search, could not be found. Again, it was seen by several young girls, and last night it made its appearance and was seen closely by Mrs. Carn, Joseph's who heard a noise as she passed her woodshed. She turned to look and distinctly saw the devil walk out of the shed and after her. Almost fainting with fear, she ran screaming into the house, while her husband ran into the yard with his gun and fired at the tall figure, which was plainly distinguished at the woodshed. In a second it was gone with no trace of injury from the gun. Many superstitious declare that bullets cannot hit it, but some of the more determined men declare it is the work of a practical joker, and expect to put a load of shot into it at their first opportunity. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know why it ends that way, but that's the end of the article. Just kidding, I had the last part. So, there you have it. That, those are the updates. There are more to come next week, but I just wanted to start at the start of the American updates. Alrighty. Well, Jack is continuing to be pretty back. ridiculous. <laughs> continuing to be quite back. <laughs> He'll never not be back. Yep. Alrighty. I am going to begin my story this week in a slightly different way than usual, with a poem, Ooh. or at least an excerpt of one. Lame. This is from Such Counsels You Gave to Me by Robinson Jeffers, circa 1937. A young man carrying a battered straw suitcase climbs slowly the wavering cattle track from an offset gorge of Malpaso Canyon and across the hill towards Howron's place. He staggered from time to time with illness or extreme fatigue. Behind him in the magnificent afterglow of November sundown, 
The two brightest of planets hung close together like brilliant condensations of the amber light above the crimson. Oh, my God, whatever. (laughs) The sky overhead was still blue and pale. The young man was perfectly alone on the white grass hills under the sky. It was like a hardly noticed thought of unhappiness passing through a great serene mind. But when he approached the fall of the hill towards Howrens, he saw apparently a person on the verge, outlined against the darkening commissure of the farther hills, intently gazing into the valley. The young man's tired and dulled mind, bred in these hills, taught in the city, reverted easily toward his dead childhood. He thought it might be one of the watchers, who are often seen in the length of this coast, uh, in this length of coast range, uh, forms that look human to human eyes, but certainly are not human. They come from behind the ridges and watch. Mm. The poem goes on from there, but that is just um, an example of something from even back in the 30s. The 30s, uh, huh? The 30s, a, you know, writing about a child who, from his own childhood further back before, I mean, this is a young man <laughs> thinking back to his own childhood back well before that, knowing of stories of the Watchers. Uh, I'm going to turn from here to a terrific October 2017 article written by Pam Marino in uh, Monterey County Now. Cool. In the mysterious and achingly beautiful depths of Big Sur, they stand and watch. I guess people from just talking about California, they get real, they wax poetic about how they much. They do. Yeah, that last two was pretty <laughs> purple. Except this purple uh, wasn't prose. No, it's not. It's true. Purple. Um, purple? Purple nurple. Hmm. They're mere shadows, and yet they make their presence known to those who get that unmistakable feeling that someone or something is staring at them. Sometimes people spot them out of the corner of an eye, but they disappear into thin air if one attempts to look directly at them. Hmm. These enigmatic beings of Big Sur are known as the Dark Watchers. And while they may be dark, appearing as shadows, if in fact they appear at all, mm-hmm. they are not dark in spirit, say those who claim to have encountered them. Instead, they are benign beings who hide in shadowed forest glens and between rock outcroppings, occasionally coming out in the open while humans are passing through their territory. Hmm. Some describe the Dark Watchers as little people. Others say they are tall and thin. If they present themselves at all, uh, it's usually during dawn or dusk when sunlight is low. I'm going to interject here for a moment to point out that most descriptions and depictions of them involve long cloaks or robes of some kind. Hmm. Again, they're all in shadow, so it's more of kind of a shape thing mm-hmm. other than a specific article of clothing. Yeah, I was going to ask if any pictures. And often uh, broad-brimmed hats. I do have a couple of images. Cool. The one that comes up the most is this, which I'll show you, which looks like a photograph. Huh. So it looks like a photograph, uh, but because I couldn't find the original source for it, I don't know if this is like an eyewitness account of someone finding this, or this is an artist's rendition of you know what the yeah, kind of thing looks like. Easily could be someone just like staging it, staging it. Sure. Yeah. So because it appears everywhere and I can't find the original, I don't know what it is. I just know that it's an example of what it's supposed to look like. Um, wow. Uh, here's another one, which is definitely an artist rendition without question, but I don't know who the artist is. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping it's going to be like a paint, you know, like <laughs> yeah, a Microsoft paint stick picture. figure. Yeah. Now, this is um, actually made by an artist, but I couldn't find who the artist is. Again, this is everywhere. So I'll post a link to both of these. If I eventually do find the correct original source, I'll replace the links with those. But for now, I'll post what I have. So this is another example of what the Dark Watchers mm. are supposed to it look is, like. You know, I mean, yeah, like you say, it's obviously a rendition, but it is consistent at the very least. Yes, and so they are a spooky, dark, a and behatted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Look like uh, Van Helsing. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a Van Helsing hat. Yeah. It's a Van Helsing. It's Mountain Van Helsing. <laughs> Mountain Van Helsing. 
They're not only benign, they're actually protecting all of this particular part of California's mountains from vampires. Exactly, and other spooky ghosties and stuff. Yes. Uh, So back to the article. Supposedly, indigenous people who lived here told stories of the Watchers, as well as Spaniards and Mexican ranchers, who called them Los Vigilantes Oscuros. The old-timers of Big Sur swear by it, says Santa Barbara artist Benjamin Brode, who painted a series of paintings for a 2013 book called In Search of the Dark Watchers. He created the book with his friend, author Thomas Steinbeck, who passed away in 2016. Thomas, who is the son of John Steinbeck, I was going to uh, say, yeah, wrote about how the famous author's mother, Olive Hamilton, who lived in King City, Salinas, and Pacific Grove during her life, not only saw the Dark Watchers, but interacted with them. What? So this is uh, John Steinbeck's mother, Thomas Steinbeck's grandmother. She was fiercely honest and the type of person who said, quote, if she couldn't see it, read it, hear it, touch it, or taste it, it didn't exist. Every day. Yes. But you know what that means. At some point, she, she... licked one of the Dark Watchers. <laughs> exactly. And yet Hamilton was adamant that during her days as a young teacher riding through the remote woods of Big Sur to reach her students, she saw the Watchers on several occasions and even traded fruit, nuts, and flowers with them. What? So yeah. She so must have gotten up close. She said she would leave the gifts in a shaded alcove oh. near Mule Deer Canyon on her travel south. And when she came back, she would find the Watchers had reciprocated her kindness. With their own fruit and nuts? It doesn't specify what that means. If it, if That's they, so cryptic. If they take something else and give something in return, They're I like, don't know. Here's a skinned rabbit's head. Oh, God. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so nice of them. Yeah, it's awesome. No one knew who the Watchers were, nor where they lived, but it was better to ignore them. The elder Steinbeck, so John Steinbeck, slipped in a mention of the Dark Watchers in a 1938 short story called Flight. Hmm. Quote, Pepe looked suspiciously back every minute or so, and his eyes sought the tops of the ridges ahead. Once, on a white barren spur, he saw a black figure for a moment, but he looked quickly away, for it was one of the dark watchers. No one knew who the watchers were, nor where they lived, but it was better to ignore them and never to show interest in them. Hmm. They did not bother one who stayed on the trail and minded his own business. So that's the end of the quote from that. Mm-hmm. So one year earlier, Carmel poet... Robinson Jeffers mentioned that in his poem, Such Counsels You Gave to Me, which I have already read from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are others who say that they have seen the Watchers. Monterey journalist and Big Sur native Rosalind Sharp Wall wrote in her 1989 book, A Wild Coast and Lonely, hmm. Big Sur Pioneers, that long before she read Jeffers's poem, she saw the Dark Watchers herself. Huh. Quote, I too once saw these dark people at Mill Creek, she wrote. They did not seem to me to be sinister, however. They were simply there. It's so weird to me that people are seeing this. I've never heard these things. I had neither. Yeah, it's just a thing. Apparently, I mean, we're not. I guess we're from the completely wrong coast to have yeah, heard of them. But right, right. Uh, later in the book, she mentioned several others who told her they saw them, including Steinbeck's friend, biologist Ed Ricketts. What? Uh, Randall A. Reinstedt, a prolific Monterey Peninsula author of local ghostly tales, has written about the Dark Watchers in at least two of his books. In one of them, Ghosts of the Big Sur Coast, he retells the story of a photographer who was shooting work for a Jeffers book um, who couldn't shake the feeling of being watched, only to be told later by Jeffers' wife, Una, or Una, um, what he had encountered. Broad says he had his own encounters while sketching in Big Sur in preparation for painting for Steinbeck's book, uh, John Steinbeck's son's book. Hmm, mm-hmm. Quote, I never saw the Dark Watchers, but I could feel the presence of something, he says. He purposely took very little equipment with him for fear too much gear would frighten them away. He counsels anyone on their own search to leave the uh, electronics behind and get quiet in the wilderness. Um, but mm. you know, if you're 
if you could sneak a smartphone in, maybe you can still get a couple photos. Yeah, really. Guys. I'm surprised it's such a phenomenon, and yet there aren't more, like, pics. Yeah. While there are no obvious people depicted in Broad's paintings, he told his collaborator, Thomas Steinbeck, that they are there if he searches. Hmm. Thomas wrote his perspectives of that conversation, rehashing what Broad told him. I really can't imagine that, um, what all the silly mystery has been about, because I found the watches almost everywhere I went. The store is literally cluttered with them. Didn't you see them for yourself? <laughs> They're talking about just shadows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're fucking everywhere, man. Yeah, so he was surprised that Brode hadn't seen them. He's like, right. they're, they're all over the place. I Dude, see them all the time. Should go with him. So um, here is just, I found, I'll post a link to this preview of the book. Um, the book is called mm. In Search of the Dark Watchers. Um, so here's a painting. So I looked through these. I can't find a lot of previews because it's um, it's meant to be, you know, a book you fucking buy, people. Come on. Yeah, spend the money. It all. It's got paintings of just... They're landscapes. Sort of nature-scapes, yeah. And in the brief moment, they entertain the least suspicion. The dark watchers will literally evaporate in front of your eyes like the fog. Hmm. Um, so there's just a couple of paintings in there. And, yeah, no obvious dark watchers in those paintings. But supposedly they are in a lot of them just kind of sort of hidden in the painting. Oh, they're so, in the painting? So I haven't been able to find them in the couple of previews that are in this thing. Or a couple that are in this preview. It's right there. <laughs> Why? That, that's the ground. Oh. So yeah, I mean, if you if I find this book somewhere, maybe I'll check it out. And That'd be cool. Take yeah. a look, but otherwise, a I, little, uh, a little read through. Yeah, but yeah. So that's that article. So a post on the site Weird California briefly summarized the Dark Watchers, pretty similar to what I just read, and then the comments section filled up with some of those tasty, tasty eyewitness accounts that we oh, buddy. so often crave. C. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gardner of June Lake, California, said. Up here in eastern Sierras, we see the Dark Watchers all the time. They're always out at dusk and dawn. All you see is just a tall, dark silhouette. They almost look like horses standing up on their hind legs with the assistance of a walking stick. Ooh. It's pretty creepy. Nobody's ever seen them up close. They disappear the moment you try to get closer. Joey of Silmar, Silmar, California, said, I'm a long-distance runner. Most of my training is up in the good old California mountains. <laughs> I had a long run scheduled, so I headed out to Veterans Park, here in the San Fernando Valley. Time of day was 2 o'clock p.m., so this is not dawn or dusk, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I was running, and up in an area where no human could climb without gear, I saw a black figure in plain daylight. I've never seen anything like it up in the mountains. It was darker than dark. Could not explain it. A year passed, and today, again, January 24th, I saw it in the same spot. Wow. Hmm. Pretty odd. Very weird, yeah. Uh, Brian of Hollister, California, said... One early morning when my car was in the shop and my sister was taking me to and from work in Salinas over San Juan Grade Road or Grade Road. I'm not sure where the Spanish begins Jake, and English you, ends. You so. clearly did not grow up in California. Not at all. Uh, we were coming home to San Juan <laughs> Bautista. Not <laughs> San Juan Bautista uh, Hollister side when we saw a very large dark figure standing at the edge of the mountains which is extremely weird since I've never seen anyone cross over the barbed wire fence, and I travel that road daily and at all hours. We drove by it slowly behind the figure, noticing it staring off into the distant valleys and mountains. Hmm. It appeared to have a large cape with straight shoulders that were very broad. It seemed to have a hunch on its back. At first Hmm. I noticed from a distance I thought it was a condor. When I got closer, it stood almost ten feet tall. What? It did not notice us driving behind it, but when we found a spot on the cliffy road to turn around and get a better look, it was gone. Hmm. This is around September 2010. So, again, these are all fairly recent. Yeah, uh, right. People have found of them. 
It goes on. Yes. Interesting. Elizabeth okay. Benitez of San Mateo, California said, I remember one day when my uh, friend and I were coming back from Los Angeles and we passed the San Luis Obispo Reservoir and as we drove on the road up, uh, I can't read it all. As we drove, <laughs> yeah. As we, drove. <laughs> as we drove on the road, I saw something at a distance down at the end of the mountain. It was a really big human figure, but it wasn't. It had a black cape <laughs> kind of like the... <laughs> What? I love that sentence structure so much. When people say it's like, it's this thing, but it's not. Yes. It had a black cape, kind of like the Grim Reaper, and it was leaning over, holding onto a staff. It was in a daytime, too, so I could identify it wasn't a person. Hmm. Even in the light, it was very black and reminded me of a raven. I told my friend who was driving to look over at the mountains, and surprisingly, she was able to see a glimpse of it as well. That's so interesting. I asked her what she saw without giving her any details, and she said exactly what I saw. She only looked at it for about five seconds, but she was able to see it. She almost lost control of the car, too, when she looked at it, and I begged her to uh, go back and see it, but she was very tired of driving already. (laughs) These dark watchers are real! (laughs) End quote. Is that all in caps at the end? Nope. It's just uh, oh. they had an exclamation point, though. Nice. So what are some possible explanations for this weird phenomenon? Like you said, neither of us had heard of this before. seems to be something people see fairly often in California, or at least in this particular stretch of those mountains. Right, right. Um, so a couple of things that come to mind and Please. things that have been proposed as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. The idea of a Brocken specter. Hmm. Um, now, this is something else that's also responsible for another spooky phenomenon in another part of the world, which we might yet cover. Hmm. Uh, um, Fearly more in Scotland. Ah, yes, so I know we'll, of these. Yeah, so we may talk about that later on. So we'll get. I actually almost did that, that today. Really? Oh, that yeah. would be fun. You fucked up there. Would have dovetailed so uh, nicely with mine. It would have been too much the same. Uh, that's actually pretty true. We got just two different mountain things. Unfucked up. There you go. <laughs> um. So what a Brock inspector is is basically when the lighting is just right, especially at dawn and dusk, you know, the low angle kind of light coming in. A person's shadow can be projected into the fog or mist, almost like a hologram, mm-hmm. giving the appearance of a large shadow person away in the distance, which can be quite spooky. A Bach inspector is when you um, have made beer and you have to make sure it's good. So you get someone comes in. <laughs> a dark beer. A dark beer specifically. Carry on. However, the dark watchers supposedly disappear quickly once seen, whereas a Bach inspector will last as long as the light and fog are present. So like it's kind of deal. Once you see them, either they disappear immediately, or if you try to take a step towards them, they're gone. Right. Now it could be a deal that if it is a um, an optical illusion, taking a step towards them could make the the breaks it for yeah, you. Yeah, could just make physically. The specific um, circumstances no, change. It reminds me too of like um, certain optical illusions where if you're looking straight at the pattern, it vanishes. Like like for instance, um, certain patterns of black and white um, where you'll perceive dots dark dots yeah but it's on the peripheral of your vision usually or not necessarily the peripheral but not dead center it's just to the sides and if you go to look the dots vanish and like we've talked about at least sometime in the past um your kind of low light perception is different on your periphery than it is in the center of your eyes and like so another example of what you're talking about is if you look at the constellation the pleiades or the seven sisters or subaru if you will Mm. um if you look at it directly, so depending on the time of year and stuff, if you look straight at it, there are a number of nebulae in the constellation that kind of obscure the little stars themselves. So sometimes mm-hmm. looking straight at it makes it hard to see. But if you're looking a little bit away from it, um, you can see it more brightly. That's cool, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes yeah, certain things just based on how light acts and how your eyes work right. may be less clear if you look straight at them 
than if you're not looking at them. Again, though, the consistency of the phenomenon. Yes. And another thing, too, like, as far as if it is a Brock Inspector, maybe if it's just, like, some passing fog and mist, it Mm -hmm. could be there. It's, like, one second and gone the next. Right. So they could still kind of explain it, but... But the fact that everyone's seeing the same kind of shape, like a, right. a person's silhouette, kind of has a hunchback, seems to Got have a the cloak. the hat, the cloak. Even multiple people saying that they have a walking stick of some kind. Yeah, right. And the, the height of it seems consistent, even though it's very tall. And then I also found it interesting that more than one person would use, like, um, sort of bird descriptors. Yeah, raven, condor. Raven, condor, this kind of hunched look. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is an audio format. Why you can't mime out stuff and have people know? Um, another, they can hear it. They can hear it. <laughs> they can hear the hunching. Listen, guys, sound. you hear this? That's me hunching. <laughs> um, another explanation people have offered for this is infrasound should be caused by wind rushing through the mountains. Hmm. You may recall that a very similar explanation was offered for the Dyatlov Pass incident, as we discussed in Episode 7. Yes. In that case, it was more of a deal where, yeah, it was something that might have caused these people to sort of lose it and run to their deaths in the mountains of Russia in the middle of winter. Right. Um, just the idea of this weird, super low-frequency sound slowly but surely affecting people in a strong way. Now, that, that was a more extreme example of what could have happened. Here, it makes more sense. People don't always see the dark watchers, but they have the feeling of being watched. Or right. just a general uneasy feeling. And that is more typical of what, more of a typical symptom of exposure to infrasound. This kind of uneasy feeling, feeling like someone's watching you that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the artist who was illustrating Steinbeck's book was saying that he didn't see the dark watchers, but he did feel their presence a lot. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if it is a, fa- a matter of wind passing through the mountains, um, causing infrasound, that could be it. And in more extreme cases, infrasound can cause hallucinations, like shadows in your vision and stuff. But the downside of that is that it doesn't explain people who see it you know, in broad daylight. If they're not in, up in the mountains, they see them away in the distance on the mountains, but they're not in the mountains themselves. Right. Or the people in their car, like they're not being affected by wind at all. Right, right. So it doesn't fully... These things individually can partly describe some of it, but doesn't totally explain it all away. No. So it's just still a very strange thing, and apparently it's been going on for at least the past century, if not longer. Supposedly, it goes back all the way to native tales of different things, but then looking into the specific As long tales, as people have been there, though. Yeah. It does seem like people are seeing them. I don't know for wow. sure. Looking more into the actual native tale stuff, it seems like that's more like, like white people saying that natives have seen that stuff to just try and further backdate it. But mm-hmm, certainly it is mm-hmm. a deal where at least since Europeans have been here, they've seen something like that up there. And they're like, that's weird. It'd be cool if someone set up, I mean, well, who knows if it would even be detected, but cameras of some kind that just constantly record. Even like time-lapse cameras or something? Yeah, just to yeah. Kind of just like see the ridges and see if these shadows pop. It would be very, very cool to see, especially because this is the kind of thing that sounds really cool and creepy, but not outright like frightening like a lot of different supernatural right, phenomena. Right, Where... Like, we've talked about things that we would or wouldn't like to experience for ourselves. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah this is one that would be very cool to see. It's like, wow, that's very odd. It makes it almost more convincing for me, too, that it's such a benign thing where people are just like, huh, that's I just odd. saw some yeah. weird thing. Yeah. I saw other um, comments in the same thread talking about stuff. And this one that had the most strangely broken, almost stereotypical Southern dialect to it. Absolutely no punctuation in the entire paragraph. Began with, I seen him. I um, seen him. And it talked about the idea of, like, this guy worked as, like, he worked in the mountains. It was in Texas, I think, though, so it's totally different. Sure. But, um, 
He worked in the mountains, and one of his co-workers radioed in saying they had to leave because they saw something that looked like the creeper from Jeepers Creepers. Oh, that guy again. We, we've read it before for uh, describing the Phantom of the Chicago. It's true. But uh, And then he had to leave, and so this guy went in to take over. Like, well, that sounds stupid. I'll, I'll go in instead. And ended up being, like, approached and surrounded. Like, this thing was circling around him, and then he, like, um, got really scared and lunged out with a knife, and finally it disappeared. <laughs> Damn. So more extreme kind of a... A scenario, but those scenarios don't seem to be the the norm. They're more of, it's more of an exception than the rule. Mostly, it's just people seeing them in the distance and being like, "Huh, that's up there." Mm. And a lot of people in the area have just like from their childhood being told of the dark watchers in the mountains. Man, oh man, very cool. Yeah, I would want to hear more. I, I also want to go to California now. That's the downside to this show is it's making us want to do a lot of traveling. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, at some point we'll get to get do some on-site ups. That'd be dope. Yeah. Before we move on to your story, let's try a segment we're calling Shadowlands Roulette. So, Jake has a site that he has, I guess, visited since childhood? <laughs> My entire life. You were no. born... <laughs> I was born on this website. <laughs> no, it's just a, it's one of the sites that I've always found. It's a good place to find stories of hauntings pretty much anywhere in the U.S. and beyond. Um, if you go to your state on this, theshadowlands.net. It's an old site from the early days of the internet. It hasn't changed since. It's been on there since, what, 90... 1994. I was six years old. And, uh... Just learned how to walk. Yes. And I... <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's just a bunch of different stories. Short little stories of different haunted places in your hometown, even, maybe. And, uh, many of them are very poorly written. Oh, yes. So it makes it very fun to read. So what we're going to do is, uh, flip a coin to determine if we're going to look in the U.S. or somewhere else. And then we're going to randomly select uh, from a random number generator um, which state or country we're going to go to. And then we'll just like scroll through it until we land on a particular story, and, uh, yeah, read that we'll one, read that. and however it's written is how we're going to read it, and we'll see what it is. Are you fully prepared, I'm fully of sound mind, body, and spirit, to read a story? All of the above. Two. Alaska. Ooh. Ketchikan. Ketchikan High School. In 1946, a student fell from a catwalk to his death. He haunts the theater to this day with crying and other noises, and he is visible from and the other noises. And other noises, and he's visible from the stage if you look up. He just makes that fart noise with his armpit while crying. While crying, Ew, that'd actually be kind of scary. It would be a pretty odd combination. He is well documented by the media and school officials. Really? He's considered staff now. Yeah. <laughs> they got to pay him a little bit. Yeah. He goes to the PTA meetings. Uh, and is seen by the majority of the students. So pretty much everyone at some point sees this ghost. Um, he still haunts the school even after it was remodeled. He is nicknamed Bucci. Bucci? Bucci. Hey, Bucci. Hey, Bucci. That's a great name. So, Ketchikan High School is haunted by the ghost of Bucci. I like that they have a nickname for him, but his actual name, this person that everyone knows they don't know. <laughs> yes. you know? Uh, so, if you go to that high school, apparently you're guaranteed to see Bucci. The Booch Man. The Booch. Uh, all right, I'm prepared for my mission into the dark. All right, I'm going to flip the coin slash phone. Oh, I'm going to America as well. Okay. So, let me randomize. 19. 19 17 Maine Alrighty That's not far away at all That's oh, indeed. my stopping grounds Upload Let me uh Alright South Portland Southern Maine Technical College Hillside Dorm This building has a long history 
It was a funeral home, a brothel, a nursing home, and now it is a college dorm. All at the same time, strangely. Yeah, there is an unknown man that walks around in the attic, as well as a, quote, critter up there that Ooh. maintenance has tried multiple times to trap, but the traps go off with nothing in them. However, there are strange footprints all around the trap. There is an old lady and a little boy in one of the rooms that will play tricks on the students by messing around with their blankets and windows at night. I like that this could just be a tangent. Like, they're not even talking about the <laughs> haunting anymore. They're just like, this, this guys. People are really annoying. Also, just fucking with us. Also, there is a young lady in a long white nightgown that walks up and down the front stairs in the evenings. She has been sighted by large groups of people at a time, as well as individuals. <laughs> nice. Well, that sounds super spooky. There's there's a link. Nope, it's just underlined and bold for some reason. Fun thing about the website, you cannot highlight the text. Try what it. the fuck is going on there? You can't highlight the text. How do they do that? I'm not sure. I didn't know that was possible. Is it actually highlighted? You just can't see You just can't do it. I tried. It doesn't copy or anything. Damn it. The end. All right. So, Wyatt, why don't you take us on to your... I almost forgot. <laughs> yeah, you have a story. <laughs> Um, Alright, so your mention of covering Dark Watchers eventually made me think of The Watcher in the Water, a.k.a. J.R.R. Tolkien's version of what I'll actually be covering. Yes. The Kraken. Alright. You know, I thought about when you mentioned possibly doing this, that we should be drinking that right now, but it's Monday. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I have to get up for school tomorrow. Yes. Uh, now, I know what you're thinking, and yes, let me just say, I am talking about that Kraken, mm -hmm. not the other ones. Just kidding. There's only one. <laughs> so what is the Kraken? Um, for the four of you out there who are still scratching your heads about whatever this Kraken is, picture an octopus or squid the size of a city block. Boom. Or Kraken. Maybe, maybe larger. Uh, now envision it grabbing a large old wooden ship, something like a merchant galleon, uh, crushing and eating people and generally battering that whole situation into a pile of buoyant garbage. <laughs> And that is pretty much what happens. That's the whole thing of it, I'd say. That was a great story, Wyatt. Thanks. Thank you. And I mean, I don't know what it is the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's epic, it's monstrous, and it's been just believable enough that up until recently, relatively speaking, it was even considered a potential biological reality mm. among some groups. For you today, I don't really have witness accounts or anything so much as I have a history lesson and a legendary creature that I think is pretty fun. Works for me. So, the English word kraken is taken from Norwegian, mm. um, in which kraken is the definite form of kraka, a word specifying an unhealthy animal or something corrupt or twisted. Kind of mm. a great descriptor. Uh, interestingly, uh, this is very close to the German kronken, and Kronk, which are... Crazy drunk. Crazy drunk, uh, which are to suffer and sick, respectively, so actually not that far off. Um, and the German word for octopus is Kraka. Huh. Uh, this gives some, you know, indication of the age of this term and uh, the legend with which it is associated. Okay. The Kraken was born in the old Icelandic saga Ovar Alder, uh, during which the protagonists must venture through the Greenland Sea. Uh, on their way, they encounter two massive sea monsters. It's kind of an Odyssey-type tale, as I gather. I don't really know it outside of what I've read for today. Okay. But um, it has a similar scale, it sounds like. 
Um, it's also written in a similar kind of um, dactylic hexameter. There you have it. I, I'm assuming it's not in the same meter. <laughs> no, I, I also highly doubt that. But uh, on their way, they encounter two massive sea monsters whose names are, you know, somewhat recall Yankee Candle sense. Um, <laughs> Half Guma, uh, which is sea mist, and Lingbacher. <laughs> which is Heatherback. Uh, the Hafguma is believed to be the earliest direct reference to what would become the Kraken. All right. So I'll read the relevant excerpt now. Uh, let's see here. Ieg moon saithi er au thaler ert to me. Wait a second. Nailed it. Let me translate this. Oh, actually, speaking of translation, it's very funny to hear the English pronunciation of these names through translate. So, the Icelandic pronunciation. Half Guma. And then English. Half Goofa. <laughs> Just so much more cheerful and half ridiculous. Half Goofa. I wouldn't call it Half Goofa. That's full That's a goofa. full Goofa, exactly. <laughs> so, the translation of the section out of that epic tale goes as follows, quote, now I will tell you that there are two sea monsters. One is called the Hafguma, another Lingbacher. The Lingbacher is the largest whale in the world, but the Hafguma is the hugest monster in the sea. It is the nature of this creature to swallow men and ships, and even whales and everything else within reach. It stays submerged for days, then rears its head and nostrils above surface and stays that way at least until the change of the tide. Now, that sound we just sailed through was the space between its jaws, and its nostrils and lower jaw were those rocks that appeared in the sea, while the Lingbacher was the island we saw sinking down. So, capturing this kind of sense of, uh, you know, beasts that are beyond comprehension and scale. Yeah, just this unbelievable vastness that you can't even wrap your mind just around. Just ap- approaching the landscape itself in scale. It's mm. pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so, while the above, you know, section is close to the patently fantastical, um, the Kraken meta kind of continued to condense, and uh, around 1250, an anonymous author returning from Greenland wrote Konungs Skugsja, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, I apologize, uh, which is a well-known natural history work from that period, um, and in it, they detail the physical characteristics and feeding behavior of both of these creatures. So I guess one could probably consider it a form of like macabre manicotti at this point, but <laughs> I will still read a little bit of it. There is a fish that is still unmentioned, which it is scarcely advisable to speak about on account of its size, because it will seem to most people incredible. There are only a very few who can speak upon it clearly because it is seldom near land nor appears where it may be seen by fishermen. And I suppose there are not many of this sort of fish in the sea. Most often in our tongue we call it hafguma. Nor can I conclusively speak about its length and L's because the times uh, he has shown before men he has appeared more like land than like fish. So back again to the just complete vast Incredible skill. And I mean, who's to say whether this guy was actually just convinced of the story and trying to recount it through his own lens or if he was just like i'm gonna take this thing for a ride yeah even prominent 18th century naturalist carl linnaeus joined the fun and classified the kraken as a cephalopod designating the scientific name uh microcosmus marinus um, in the first edition of his systema naturae in 1735 pretty cool 
which was a taxonomic classification periodical of living organisms. Uh, he would drop the Kraken from the later editions of this publication, though he would remain convinced of the potential for, quote, a unique monster said to inhabit the seas of Norway, but I've not seen this animal. It's cool that he chose to describe it as a cephalopod, too, given that what we know of things that live down there nowadays. Yeah, kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and I like, too, that he was just like, well, I've never seen it, but heck, it could be out there. Yeah. And from then on, additional authors would further describe and expand on the Kraken's biology and tendency to tear ships to the deep. Um, and over the centuries, the Kraken has thus become sort of immortalized in Western mythology and to this day remains a popular fixture in nautical fantasies of yeah. all kinds. And in Clash of the Titans. And in Clash of the Titans, indeed. <laughs> that version of it is crazy looking, <laughs> yes. if you've not seen that movie. So... Is there any evidence, though, that a kraken or kraken-like creature does or did exist? So that takes me to my next section. How close can we get to a kraken? Well, as monstrous as squids and octopuses may sound, uh, they totally do exist. And I figured I could dive into a brief overview of cephalopod biology. Uh, both squids and octopuses are members of this group. Cephalopoda, mm -hmm. uh, which listeners may have known, uh, includes cuttlefish and nautilus. And for those who aren't super familiar with Greek, cephalopod means head foot. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> They're a pretty cool group. Uh, very mysterious still, I'd say, to science in general, just because of certainly if looking at the octopus, their incredible intelligence and very interesting genetic composition. I won't really get into that too much today, but they are mollusks at the end of it all. So much like, if I'm not mistaken, shelled beasts. Yeah, you got your snails, you got your uh, clams, they're all mollusks. So slugs. Slugs, indeed. Also, I want to say, while we're at it, most of the quote-unquote tentacles you see on an octopus or squid are not tentacles. They are arms. Mm -hmm. If anyone tells you different, punch them and then remind them that encephalopods Arms have suckers that cover the length of the appendage. Tentacles only have suckers at the end. Yes. So in that sense, octopuses have eight arms and squids have eight arms and two tentacles. Which is exactly what I was about to say. So Robbed you. You did. You, you snatched it right up. With my tentacles. Snatch that gravy up. Let's take an octopus. Given its intelligence, even though they don't get that large as like a city block or a mile as some reports will go... <laughs> Um, oh my God. <laughs> if they could reach that size, they almost undoubtedly would fuck ship up just for the fun <laughs> of it. Um, octopuses in general are incredibly smart. Uh, they have the highest brain to body ratio ratio of all invertebrates. They're very inventive and active and are incredibly adaptable, which makes them one of the coolest creatures in my book. Oh, I love yeah. Them. I don't know if you saw, have you seen any of Blue Planet 2? Not a ton of it, no. There's um, at least one octopus they followed around a little bit in the shallows of this one tropical sea, and they um, saw it was being hunted by this one type of shark, and they're really worried it was going to get it, but then it uh, took a bunch of shells and just wrapped its arms around itself and suctioned the shells onto yes. it to make itself into a ball of shells. Tool use. That confused the hell out of the shark because it could smell us that there was an octopus there but couldn't see it. That's so cool. So it kept bumping into it until finally it started like trying, it was like ramming it thinking, you're an octopus, right? But no, are you? Yeah, and then right. And it just took off away from it and the, and the um, shark stood there like 
looking at the area where it was and like the falling shells and trying to figure out where the octopus was and it was already long gone. That's so cool. I yeah. heard the shells landed in that S that kids drew in middle school. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, the S for octopus, of course. <laughs> and as the only bony structure in an octopus's body is its parrot-like beak, um, they're very... I guess you could say malleable. They're able to squeeze themselves into all sorts of crevices and through yes. all sorts of relatively unbelievably small openings to uh, escape or just navigate their environment. Yeah. And as Jake just mentioned, they're extremely deft and able to manipulate objects in their environment. So tool use such as holding shells or something else I've seen is uh, an octopus using discarded uh, the discarded shells of a coconut as a portable hutch. Yes, yes, I have so, seen that. Hiding inside. Carrying it. both halves, and then when things come around, just like clamming itself inside. Why has an octopus ever held you? We're talking about shells of different kinds. Yes, I was used as a tool by an <laughs> octopus. An octopus called American Corporatocracy. <laughs> so they can also escape from their tank, escape from within jars, such as those with lids even screwed down on top. In a particularly entertaining case, at the Sea Star Aquarium in Coburg, Germany, an octopus named Otto was known to juggle his fellow tank mates around, as well as throw <laughs> rocks and smash the aquarium glass. And on more than one occasion, Otto even caused short circuits by crawling out of his tank and shooting a jet of water at the overhead lamp. <laughs> so I'll leave it there for now as far as sort of an overview of fun cephalopod biology. There's a ton more. Um, I feel like one could easily do a whole podcast on just this group, and it would obviously be called the Cephalopodcast, and unfortunately <laughs> that name has already been taken, Damn. but the take-home message is if an octopus were able to reach as much as a mile in size, it definitely would fuck stuff up. Oh, yes. So, thankfully, we won't have to see any creature of that scale, but cephalopods did and do achieve pretty amazing sizes. So, I'll go through a couple ancestral, now extinct cephalopods. Alrighty. One is Camaroceras, uh, which means chambered horn. Mm. It may sound like a fancy car, but is instead one of the largest cephalopods to ever have lived. Uh, hailing from the Middle Ordovician, so about seven, uh, 470 million years ago, uh, Camaroceras looked a bit like if you took a Nautilus, which is itself a living fossil or a Lazarus taxon, and stretched and straightened it out such that its shell was sort of like a long pointed cone. Okay. Um, if you And if you don't know what a Nautilus is, the next best descriptor I have for you is if you stuffed a squid's mantle inside of an ice cream cone made out <laughs> yes. of smooth bone. <laughs> there you go. So that the eyes and tentacles poked out of the top. I think you can get that in Japan at some market. Yeah, I bet you can, actually. Holy shit. So, Camarocerus got up to 20 to 30 feet long, or about 6 to 9 meters in length. Here is Damn. the scale. Um, another is Parapizosia sapenridensis. Say that name five times fast. Uh, do you want to try it? No, I don't care. This was the largest known species of ammonite, um, oh. which is not a Pokemon, rather an extinct subclass of cephalopods. Uh, Sapenridensis looked very much like extant Nautilus, uh, just much, much larger and a bit more imposing in its features. Wow. that's I've seen ammonite. Crazy, things, right? But, yeah, this is shown next to a person for scale, and they're huge. 
huge. They're massive. So like, that one's double the height of that guy. Yeah. If you've never seen the Nautilus and generally just have no idea of cool sea creatures, imagine our squid cone, but roll that cone up into a spiral. So nowhere near as long as Camerasiris, Sepenrodensis was no less imposing and reached a total live mass of up to 3,200 pounds. Damn. 1,400 kilograms, roughly, and a shell diameter of up to 3.5 meters, almost as many as me. <laughs> um, 11 feet. It's huge. It's uh, crazy. Yes. So, you only have two. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so... <laughs> I am nowhere near as sepenrodensis as sepenrodensis. But yeah, it's shown in this image next to a typical businessman, <laughs> a human businessman. But yeah, it's pretty intense. Yes. That would be a frightening thing to see for sure. Yeah. Given these huge cephalopods, they're now lost to time. We don't necessarily have to travel back to see them, though, or at least to see super large cephalopods because we have the, of a few, giant octopus uh certainly not a mile in size but genus enteroctopus which sounds like a yet to be produced flying lotus album <laughs> um enteroctopus have been measured up to 3.3 meters in length pretty good size pretty good size and uh they weigh in at about 71 kilos so about 157 pounds but that's a considerable size for a creature which is as strong and intelligent as octopuses are mm. Perhaps closer in appearance to Legends, uh, the giant squid, which many listeners are probably at least vaguely familiar with. Architeuthis ducks. There you go. Can reach lengths of upwards of 10 meters from end to end. Uh, giant squids captivated me when I was a kid just for the fact that they are such living monsters in so many ways. Yeah, it seems to be Legends for so long and then they start washing up on shores and all the different people like studying these different like corpses of these gigantic squids and stuff and exactly the fact they're real it's so amazing it's just amazing they swim at great depths and um are a product of i believe they call it what is it abyssal gigantism or something like this abyssal uh, that sounds about right abyssal gigantism yeah something like that where basically creatures that exist in the great great depths um tend to be much larger than their shallower depth cousins if i can put it that way so this is also where we get the deep sea louse or what have you the the water yeah, the deep sea, uh, deep sea what is isopods. it called the isopods thank you so much yes deep sea isopods those that are, things they look the size like, of, a, like small dogs <laughs> yeah they're like look like like the roly poly type of things you'd see under a log or something right. or a pill bug pretty frightening but looking. they're yeah they're the size of a schnauzer <laughs> but again these guys are way down there and this this in part has to do with the depth part has to do with the temperature um mm. creatures at that depth typically have a much much slower metabolism i actually read today that i think giant squids are what I'll, i'm about to talk about colossal squids require only about 30 grams of food a day to really sustain themselves which is amazing their size. how big they are you think about anything that big on land or at the surface needs to have a lot of food to keep lasting but if they're not using all the energy then they don't right. need that much exactly so and i'm sure they can live for quite a long time too mm, at such a slow metabolism kind of makes me think of like greenland sharks which live up like upwards of 200 300 years yeah probably even more than that if i'm not mistaken squid life spans can be shortened dramatically by sperm whales indeed which is the natural clash of the titans yes uh so giant squids so at great depths they have a giant beak and suckers which unlike the octopus are equipped with teeth which i thought was really cool when i was a kid still do 
Um, this is also part of why we see sperm whales with scarring all over their face. Yeah. Giant squid naturally don't go down without a fight, but sperm whales typically come out on top and very full. Japanese researchers famously captured the first live footage of a giant squid back in 2004. The footage itself is not terribly sensational to watch, but it does represent a pretty phenomenal biological observation nonetheless, given, just as Jake mentioned, we'd mostly just been studying these things based on corpses, which deteriorate super quick, given their... Smushiness? The smushiness, exactly. Yeah, we went from not being sure they existed at all to holy shit, they exist, and we have these bodies to study, to, oh my god, we're seeing an actual live one for the first time. Right. I remember watching that special when it first came out, how amazing it was. They kept trying to like find it. They had bait on a hook with a camera. That's right, it. that's right. And when they pulled it up, there was a tentacle attached to the hook, yes. and it was still moving. They're like, holy shit. And they're like, what? It's like, what's on the camera? And sure enough, it had gotten hooked on, like it had used the tentacles to attack the bait, got hooked, and struggled for a while, eventually decided, okay, I don't need that tentacle anymore, I'm out of here. Right. And took off, left the tentacle behind, <laughs> and they pulled up the still-moving tentacle. That's so cool. And incredibly, the giant squid is now overshadowed by its bigger and even badder brother, the colossal squid, mm-hmm. which reached somewhat larger lengths. Their mantle is longer than the giant squid's, but their arms and tentacles are generally s- shorter. Um, so, so they're more massive. Than, massive, yeah. exactly. They're they are the stocky version, so they can reach as they're much chubbier. as yes, uh, seven hundred fifty kilos. Damn. So they're huge. Um, and this is based. Would you say colossal? Indeed, <laughs> the gargantuan squid. It's called huge squid. <laughs> you go that real big squid. <laughs> and this again, these numbers are based just on analyses of smaller and immature specimens to date. So wow. There's speculation they can get quite a bit larger. About a mile. (laughs) Exactly. Nonetheless, they are the largest known invertebrate. They also have the largest eyes documented in the animal kingdom. Ooh. um, With just a partly collapsed specimen measuring in at 11 inches in diameter. Wow. And was speculated to be up to 12 to 16 inches in diameter when alive. Man. So, you know, them some lookers, as they would say. Um, like the giant squid, the colossal squid suckers are lined with small teeth. However, its limbs are also equipped with sharp hooks, some of which can swivel and others are three pointed, presumably for better grip and grasping. So a living monster in many ways. Yeah. You're screwed long before you even reach its mouth. You're in trouble. Exactly. And you do not want to reach the mouth. The colossal squid's beak is just huge in size. I don't have the exact measurement, but it could easily take some nice big bites i mean even smaller squid like humboldt squid couldn't badly injure a diver oh yeah um i mean they're just bitey so while the kraken as such may not be a biological entity it is no less sort of real now um i would argue in the psyche of the western kind of collective mind um and I guess there's just sort of something irresistible about the narrative behind it. This sort of massive super beast that's lurking in the oceans. Yeah. That might be under your boat at any time. Um, it's just uh, it's just fun. Um, and uh, as Jake mentioned at the top, a particular brand of 
black spiced rum has taken on the mantle of the Kraken, no pun intended, <laughs> and features an appropriate etching style drawing of a large octopus as though done in the 18th or 19th century on its uh, label. Um, and it also bears the reverent, if somewhat gross, slogan, put a beast in your belly. <laughs> uh, and please sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a uh, it's a very tasty. Rum. It's also really good rum. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to play. Um, so, and in a similar way, the Kraken as a character um, has become something of a banner beast or antagonistic entity in almost all media, from literature, movies, and games to brand identities, much like the the rum there. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's pretty much what I've what I've got on that. Yeah, one thing I've wondered for the longest time, knowing that these kind of cephalopods do exist in real life, and how those can be interpreted by someone who doesn't know what they're seeing when they see it for the first time, I still wonder how you get to the idea of how long were that. So we know that these animals exist and that they're pretty damn huge. Not right. as big as people describe, but still surprisingly big. Right. Um, and we know that people, like, you know, seeing whales for the first time were terrified because never seen an animal like that before. It's no, it's, it's, a, it's a sea monster, just like it's that. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Whales are air-breathing mammals. They have to come to the surface, so people would see them right. when they're out, out in the deep ocean because they'd come up. What I wonder is how people would come to see something like um, a giant octopus or a giant squid, especially right. in um, you know in uh, in like Scandinavia or something. True. In order to develop the legends from that. Yeah, it's true. Well, I find it interesting too that the because exactly like you say that there is plenty of um, talk of how it was witnessing a giant squid or something like it that led to I mean obviously the development of the Kraken imagery, but. Um, I find it interesting that the original telling, it doesn't really sound like an octopus to me. It's just like it's, a huge it's monster just a with a big, big monster. Yeah, yeah, a big monster with a big mouth. It doesn't say any real... It could be anything. But I wonder if it wasn't maybe a body that washed up or, you know, yeah. someone just saw the remains and they were like, ooh, or there's a much, much be, bigger version of this out there. All it would take would be one person, like, you know, fishing for something and then right. something, either they catch something and then the squid catches what they caught. Oh, yeah, they pulling, drag it up. Somehow pulling a squid up to the surface. True. I can't imagine anything more terrifying when you're fishing oh, out there. Oh, my God. Than something like that coming up Especially with if you're catch. in a little sloop. I mean, oh, yeah. some of those fishing boats, the thing would be the size of the boat and so. even if it wasn't anywhere close to as big as described in all these legends right it's still so so big and it's going exactly. to get bigger and bigger in your imagination the further you go oh absolutely and add to that the fact that it's not something anyone even knows about like we know there's a giant squid if one of right. us had a boat attacked by a giant squid it would still be terrifying oh my if you've God. never even heard of a squid in general exactly a giant just to squid, see that thing for the first time it like, is a monster nothing they're otherworldly <laughs> yeah exactly so very cool real, real life monster yes did we ever say what the theme was for this week nope we didn't that's okay well we just told you some stories yeah exactly yeah. Hope you guys liked them <laughs> yeah we were going for a kind of legendary sort of almost elemental natural phenomena mm -hmm. and i think we have accomplished that i don't know nailed it cool i'd say so thank you for joining us again this week we encourage you to send in your own stories if you ever do we want to thank amanda I don't know if we want to say your last. We'll ask you about that before you actually read your story. But uh, yes, finally, got indeed. someone to send their goddamn stories into our email. <laughs> contact at superduperstitious dot com. 
So please follow Amanda's lead and do the same. Yes, we are very interested to hear from you what you would like to hear on the show, uh, topics covered or questions had. and We will cover that shit. We're into it. But until then, I will uh, cover the stuff we've been covering and we'll do it again next week. Yeah, goddammit. So hope to see you guys there. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.